Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to, and not in place, of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. I've entitled the message this morning, Out of Left Field. And I titled it that because I actually prayed and, and began to write what God was putting on my heart as I was studying through the book of Ezekiel, I was studying through the book of Proverbs, I was reading a little bit in some Puritan writers with Thomas Brooks and some others, and I began formulating a word um, all through Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. In fact, I had four pages written by the time I got into Thursday, which was really great for me. As I finished the fourth page, and I'm praying over it, and I'm trying to get ready, suddenly there was just this like cloud of almost confusion. Like I didn't know what I was supposed to actually communicate, what I was supposed to write next. I, I felt almost like th- this, this blockade, went like a writer's block, but something even deeper than that. And I kept on praying. I said, God, am I missing something? Am I, is there something that you want to do? Is there something I'm not listening to or something? And as I was praying through that prayer, Friday, I sat down and I began to, to write some other notes. And I was writing through something completely different from the topic that I was praying through. And it began to, to come so easy. I just started writing it all out. And I said, God, is this where you really want to go for Sunday morning? And, and I, I took it as just God just leading and directing. So I just prayed over it, put it together. And, and that's really where we're going to go today. I, I say it's a sermon out of left field because I was preparing something totally different. And now suddenly Friday, I'm going in another direction. Now, let me just say this. I have preached portions of this sermon here at this pulpit before. So when you hear things, you're going to say, man, I feel like I've heard that. I feel like, and listen, it wasn't because I was lazy. I had a whole nother word, but I felt like there was something that God wanted to reinforce for all of us. How many of you know that God repeats himself pretty frequently throughout scripture? You ever read through a chapter and you read one verse and then suddenly you're reading the exact same verse, just a few verses down. And you're saying, what in the world? God likes to speak over and over because he knows sometimes we're thick and we don't always hear, but God is gracious. Amen. Now, I will say this. I'm going to be speaking a little bit on the topic, and I want you to get this, of family devotions. I'm going to talk about raising up a generation who knows the Lord. And I know there are going to be some people in this room who are going to be like, I don't know if that applies to me specifically, but it does. And as we get into the sermon, you'll understand more. Amen? Amen. We're going to get into it. Okay. Let's look at it together. I shared in the first service that at the start of the new year, I began to receive some emails and people were stopping me after Wednesday night church service and they were asking me, uh, which children's story Bible do I read with my kids at home? And like I said before, I've shared a few times from this pulpit about our family devotional times and how Beth and I work to be intentional in discipling our kids. And it seems like that since I've been sharing on that topic, it's actually struck a nerve with a lot of people. See, we are living in a day and age that if we don't take discipling our children seriously, there is no chance of them falling in love and serving the Lord for the rest of their lives. In fact, even heavier than that, there's very little chance of them actually making it all the way to heaven and not suffering in torment for all of eternity in hell. They are not going to be encouraged to love the Lord in the public school system. 
They're not going to be encouraged to love the Lord online. They're not going to be encouraged to love the Lord even on their sports teams where many of their coaches are now forcing our children to have to choose which pronouns they want to be known by. Like it or not, we are living in a post-Christian society, which means now more than ever, we have to make discipling our children our highest priority. It's got to be a high priority for all of us. Now, I know what the singles in this place are already probably thinking. You're thinking, oh, great, oh, great, oh, great. Another wasted Sunday. I came here to hear Pastor Michael preach on something that would be edifying, that would be encouraging, that would be something profound for my own life. And now I have to sit and I have to listen through a teaching that doesn't even really apply to me. But that's not true. See, if you're a single in this place or you don't have children, let me just say this. Let me tell you, you are still part of this faith family. And through the relationships that you have in this house from community groups and from serving in different ministries, God is weaving you into all types of family units for you to actually participate and help serving and raising up the next generation for him. My good friend, Michael Fratt, who's now coming on staff here at Springs Church, um, he's single, and yet he is an intricate part of my children's lives. They, they love him. They get excited when he comes over. They get excited when he comes to babysit. Michael Fratt, whether he realizes it or not, is discipling and part of the discipleship of Landon and of Max and of Daly. Does that make sense? We are a community. We are a family. We are a house. Through our community groups, through what we come together to do, we are all in the process of discipling the next generation. Amen? Amen. Now turn with me to your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6, because we're going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to start plucking out a few things. And I've done this before, so some of it will be review, but I'm going to go into it in even a greater depth. Deuteronomy chapter 6, I want to read verses 1 through 9. Are you ready? These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Now, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Now, just hear me in a second. It says, impress them on your children. And then it explains actually how to do it. Watch this. Verse seven, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, Deuteronomy chapter six from verse four on is called the Shema. And the Shema was actually referred to by Jesus in the New Testament. The Shema is God giving to his people, the Israelites, a tool to be able to help them stir up their affections and their children's affections for him. 
In fact, let me put this up on the screen. I want you to see this, ready? The whole purpose of the Shema, ready for this, is to create an intentionality in the lives of the people of God to cultivate their hearts to love and to obey God. Hear me on this. Is that not what discipleship is all about? Especially discipling our children. Isn't that the highest priority, to cultivate their hearts, to love, and to begin to obey God? But watch this. I want to put this up on the screen, because when people read through the Shema, they miss one of the most important parts, and I want you to see it. Ready? The whole purpose of the Shema is not to add something to the daily responsibilities of our lives, but instead, are you ready? It is to reorientate the duties of our lives around the things of God. See, the Shema is not God giving us something on top of what we already have to do as parents and leaders, but instead, it's Him giving us something that we are supposed to weave into what we are already doing. It is God adjusting. It is God adapting the rhythms of our lives. God is not trying to paralyze or overwhelm us. Listen to me. But instead, he is looking to empower, to strengthen, and to encourage us to be able to raise our kids up in the ways of the Lord. Do you hear that? I have two boys, Landon and Max. Um, they love hitting baseballs in the park across the street from our house. Um, and I always end up the permanent pitcher. I, I, I never get to hit. I always have to pitch. But every time I get up there to pitch the ball to them, I want you to get this. I don't stand there as their father trying to strike them out, right? I don't stand there like, I wonder if my nine-year-old will be able to hit this one. No, not in a million. I mean, what type of father would I be? Listen to me. I am doing everything I can when I pitch that ball to lob the baseball as slowly and as perfectly as I can so they can hit it out of the park. Sometimes they're not even swinging. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing the ball so perfectly that I'm making it bounce off the bat. And then I'm sitting there like, did you see what you just did? Oh my goodness, you should get on a baseball team. You're absolutely amazing. And the whole time I was the one that was actually doing it. Listen to me and I need you to get this. God is not trying to strike you out when it comes to your walk with him or you raising your kids to trust him. He wants you to hit the home run. He's not looking to overwhelm you. Instead, he is looking to empower you. Does that make sense? See, every time I go to one of these teachings or I go to a seminar about discipling children or discipling kids or whatever it is, um, by the time I get done and they give me all the books, and, and I've been to some where literally they go through like every stage of the life of the child. This is where they're going to develop and you're going to experience this. And this is where they're going to develop. And, and by the time I walk out and I've said it to my wife, I said, I feel like I have to go and get a psychology degree in order to raise my children. I, I don't even, how am I going to, I have so many books I got to read. I don't even know what am I going to do. I mean, has anyone ever felt that way when it's come to devotionals and raising your kids up? I don't, I, I don't even know where to begin. I don't even know where to start. Listen to me. The Shema is not doing that. 
It's totally different. It's not giving you just all this information alone. What it's saying to you is, I want you to work within what you're doing with your kids already and the rhythms of your life, the faithfulness and the goodness of God. In fact, let's look back and let's pull a few things out of it just for a second. Watch this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Ready for this? It says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, now write this down. This is important. The Shema teaches us that the human heart needs to be reminded about God's faithfulness over and over and over again. That's part of the tool, listen to me, of stirring up our affections for the Lord. Notice that the Shema doesn't say, you know, in a week's time when you get up, talk about the commandments of God and then don't ever worry about them. No. God is making it clear that human beings need to hear things multiple times before it actually affects their hearts, which is one of the reasons we're talking about this sermon possibly all over again, because we have to hear it over and over. And you can see this play out in your practical life. For example, me and my wife, we have a coat rack when you come into the house right next to the front door. It's right there when you come in. And yet my children cannot put the concept together that coats belong on the coat rack. So watch this. Every day, sometimes five, six, seven times a day, I have to tell them over and over and over and over again, pick up your coats. Don't leave your coat on the ground. Whose coat is this that I just tripped over? Where did this coat come from? You, you start sounding like a crazy person, right? I have to say it over and over and over and over. Why? So that through constant repetition, ready for this? My children would finally come to the understanding that human civilization prospers on the one principle that coats belong on the coat rack. The Shema teaches us that consistency in worshiping, thinking, and talking about God is one of the most important things that we could do to stir up the affections of our children for the Lord. Ready? Watch this. We need to be consistent. But the Shema also teaches us that we are already consistently engaging with our kids in so many different ways. Think about it for a second. I, I could guess that probably all of us, if not most of us in this room who have children, are probably already consistently talking to our kids about grades, about school, about after-school programs, about chores, about sports. These are consistent 
conversations. And the Shema is saying that when we are having these conversations, whether it's in our car, whether it's at home, whether it's around our dinner table, if it's during our bedtime, whenever it's happening, that we should make sure that in these conversations, we are talking about the faithfulness and the goodness of God. See, watch this. This is important. The Shema is not teaching us just to have a special time set aside to talk about God. Although that's good. That's really good. But I have seen so many parents struggle and give up doing that. Why? Why? Well, I'm going to tell you why. Many of you are going to go home after the sermon today, and I guarantee you, you're going to say to yourselves, we're going to do it. We're going to disciple our kids. And I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. You're going to get your phones together, and you're going to start looking through all your schedules. And you're going to say, okay, we're going to find a time. And you're going to pick a time. You're going to say, okay, I got it. Monday and Friday, 7 p.m., we're going to lock down the house. No one comes in. Nobody goes out. And for 15 minutes, we're going to worship as a family together. Dad's going to come read two chapters of scripture. Then we're going to pray for a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. And every Monday and every Friday at 7 p.m., cloven tongues of fire are going to appear above our heads. And we're going to be raptured up into the third heaven as a family together. Let me say this. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I guarantee you that as soon as you nail down a specific night or a specific time to start having family devotions, the rhythms of life are going to begin to change. Oh, I guarantee you, you're going to see band rehearsals. You're going to see sports practices. You're going to see after-school programs. All of a sudden, they're going to start appearing on Monday and Friday night. I How many parents know that this is true? Right? I got it. Wait a second. I did what Pastor Michael said. I put this all together. I got it all right. We were ready to go. And then suddenly everything begins to shift all over again. And if that's your picture of discipleship alone, you are going to fail as parents and you're going to feel so terrible about how bad you're doing, you're going to throw in the towel altogether. And you know what you're going to say? You won't say it out loud, but subconsciously, this is what you're going to say. We'll let the church do that. that that's for the youth ministry. I'll get my kid on a missions trip. I'll get, them, I'll get them to go to a youth retreat. And then the discipleship, that's where all this is supposed to happen. Because we tried and we just can't seem to do it. I know this from my own personal life. Now I got kids who are in all types of sports. Me and my wife were talking about this yesterday. They want to play like the big time sports. They're getting good enough that they could be on like, not just, and that, please hear me, I'm not putting this, not just the Y team, but they could go on like traveling teams and they, could, and they want to do it. And we're thinking to ourselves, okay, so now we got to travel up to Denver to bring our kids on Saturday morning to be able to play soccer. We got one in basketball at the Y, so we got to get down here in Monument. Plus, we got Daly, who's got her dance recitals. We got to make sure somebody's there. Plus, everybody was sick this last week. Everybody's been throwing up. We can't listen to me. The rhythms of life are all over the place. But let me tell you what you can do consistently, and this is important. You can say this. You could say two or three times this week during our bedtime routines, at the dinner table, when we eat together, or even Saturday morning where we get that little respite before everybody has to go out for their sports games, we are gonna spend 15 minutes talking about God and praying together. You can do that. See, you can find the rhythm of life. That's what the Shema's talking. The Shema's saying, hey, when you walk down the street, talk about the Lord. Hey, when you're going to bed at night, Talk about the Lord. Hey, when you're getting up in the morning, talk about, it's finding rhythm is what it's beginning to do. 
And if you're just in a place saying, this is our devotion time and that's it. Now listen to me. If you're an A-type personality, you're in the military, you could do it. All power to you. <laughs> Honestly, I can't do it. My brother's an engineer. My, my brother only thinks, do you know I can't call my brother past seven o'clock because that's when the whole house goes to bed? He has the whole house wired on a server where all the lights literally turn off. And somehow his daughter, his daughter that's nine years old, somehow goes to sleep. I'm like, how do you do? I can't do that. That's not who I am. If you're able to do that, all the power to you. But I'm telling you what the Shema is teaching, it's not just about this specific time. It's about through the rhythms of life, finding those times and using them to speak about God's faithfulness, to speak about God's goodness, and to raise them up. It's saying, follow those rhythms. Do you get what I'm saying this morning? Okay, let me put this up. So, so I, wanna, I wanna nail this home. The Shema is not trying to get you to add more to your schedule as a family, but instead, ready for this? It is teaching you to reorientate your schedule as a family around the things of God. <sighs> okay, so watch this. I'm gonna put one more slide up. I'm gonna get us up to speed where we're at, and then I wanna show you where we're gonna go next. Ready for this? I want you to see. If we're gonna disciple our kids and stir up their affections for the Lord, the Shema gives us the tool, listen to this, of consistency. This idea of find those rhythms and be consistent talking about God with your children. But it also, this is important, gives us the tool of clarity. God says you want to stir up those affections, you need to have consistency, and you need to have clarity. Notice that Deuteronomy chapter 6 says that we are to talk about the faithfulness of the Lord with our kids, but then we are to take God's law, which is who he is, and write his law on the doorposts of our houses and the gates of the city. Whenever you need clarity in a conversation, you always write down what you were talking about. See, my dad, get this, He's in real estate development. He owns a lot of commercial properties that he's constantly renting out. And he's always meeting with, with presidents of corporations or, or businessmen or whatever it is to ask them what their needs are for maybe renting out office space or for them to, to get some measure of outside yardage that they could put some vehicles that they have, whatever it might be. But in those conversations, there are so many things that are talked about. They discuss things like the rent, that is the annual rent per square foot. They, they talk about the triple net. They talk about snow removal. They talk, they talk about literally the landscape costs and so on and so on and so on and so on. So the one thing that my dad will never do, and this is so important, is he will never make a deal on a conversation alone. Never. He always comes back to the table with a written proposal where both parties will add to it or change it before they actually sign. Now, here's the question. Why in the world does my dad write everything down? Because my father knows that a conversation alone is not clear enough to be able to get anything done. There needs to be clarity before the ball could begin to move forward. And the same thing is true when we're having our disciple times with our kids. In fact, it's true about our kids that many times what we are saying and what they are hearing is not the same thing. How many have ever experienced that? I deal with it with adults. Not in this church, but people that are online. I've had people write in to me. Doesn't happen, yeah, I'm trying to get better. I'm dealing with it. But people will write in and they say, I can't believe you said that on that sermon. And I'll go back and listen to the sermon and I'll literally say, I didn't say that. I don't think that was me. And I'll, I'll send the link and say, I think you should listen to it again because I don't think I, and then I get another email that comes back. It must have been a different sermon. I was like, all right, I give up. Whatever. 
What you say and what you hear is not always the same. So if I am going to be talking about the faithfulness of God and using those conversations to stir the affections of my children up for the Lord, I have to make sure that what I think we're talking about is what they think we're talking about. Does that make sense? And two of the best tools that you can use in a devotional setting to bring clarity to your children is number one, are you ready? Number one, ask them to repeat back to you what you have just talked through. All right, let me give you an example of this. Um, starting, was it, was it the summer or the fall? We started trying to go through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible with our kids. So we went through the Pentateuch. And then I was going to go to the Gospels. We were going to transfer over and talk about the life of Jesus. But my kids wanted to go a little bit further. They wanted to hear about possessing the promised land. So we went through Joshua. Then when I got done with Joshua, I was thinking, well, I got two boys. They got to read Judges. That's like the book for boys. So I told them about stakes going through people's temples. I told them about Samson getting his eyes plucked out, tearing down. And they're just, they're eating it up. Like they love Samson. They're like, man, this is amazing, right? So we get through Judges and then I'm thinking in my mind, okay, we're going to get to the Gospels, but before we can, we got to get through the book of Ruth because that was like a mini story in the book of Judges. So I do it the other night. I think we finished up Ruth two nights ago or so. And we do it at their bedtime routine because that's when I have the time and I, I, I bring it into the rhythms of our lives. So we're reading through the book of Ruth and we're talking about how Ruth came back to the land with Naomi and they were, they were poor and they had no way of providing for themselves and how Boaz was a distant relative and then, and then Boaz saw Ruth and Boaz married Ruth and when Boaz married Ruth that all the wealth of Boaz then was transferred to Ruth so now that they were going to be okay her and Naomi because of this wealth that Boaz had and then I sat down and I tried to explain to them this is our relationship with Jesus see we we were poor we had no way of making ourselves right with God we had no way of earning our salvation we would never be able to be in a right relationship with God, where God would be able to bless us and to bring us to heaven one day. So Jesus came down from the earth and he became one of our distant relatives. He became part of the brother of, of humanity. And the scripture says that through the cross and through his death, now I'm doing pretty good so far, right? I'm explaining through the cross that he actually brings us into like a marriage covenant. We, we, he brings us into a marriage where now we are his bride and all of his righteousness and all the good things that he's done gets transferred over to us in our account, just like Ruth, just like Ruth became wealthy Naomi became wealthy because of Boaz. We get wealthy because of Jesus. And I get through all of this, and I'm thinking in my head, best dad ever. I mean, I, I took him all the way through the gospel. I'm psyched. I'm like, I'm like, man, I nailed devotion time. And then I turn back and I say this. Can any of you explain to me what we just talked through? And suddenly, as I listened to what they said, I went from best dad ever to worst dad ever. They didn't get any of it. They were lost. And I was about to leave that time with them thinking they knew it all. I was about to go in and tell Beth, not only are they saved, man, that the Holy Spirit fell tonight, they are good to go. Our, man, we got them going. You know, that's what I'm thinking in my mind. But I was missing it. What I thought was happening in our devotion time and what was actually happening were two totally different things. And then I went back through it with him and we talked and I kept on bringing it down to the level until they were able to fully understand. See, just ask them to begin to repeat back to you what you're actually talking through. Does that make sense? The second thing that's so powerful that you can do, listen to me, is follow up with questions. This is so powerful because when you get your kids to start thinking and to start speaking back the biblical truths that you are teaching to them, it reveals what is going on inside of their hearts. I have three children. They are completely different from each other. 
I mean, completely different. So when I read through the Bible with them, or I talk to them about the things of God, and I ask them to explain to me what we just actually talked about, what happens is I get to be able to see how their God-given personality understands and processes the gospel. Does that make sense? See, Landon, I want you to get this, he is my oldest son, but he is the most sensitive out of all three of my kids. And Landon, I want you to get this. Whenever we read about or we talk about the wrath of God, it's really overwhelming for him because he cannot connect the dots to see that God's wrath operates within the confines of his love. Now, Max, on the other hand, I literally could read about God afflicting people with tumors or read about him nuking Sodom and Gomorrah, and Max literally turns over on his pillow, says, cool, and goes to bed. Landon repeating back to me what he heard when we read the Bible or talk about God helps me understand that I have to take more time explaining God's love to him. Do you see it? Do you understand it? But the second thing that you can do to bring clarity to your children when you talk to them about the things of God, ready for this, is you can ask them questions. And hear me on this. Not just yes and no, one answered questions. You got to ask them open-ended questions. Questions like, and this is the one I use, ready? Every time we read through something, I say, now that we've read through that, or now that we've talked about that, and you've learned something about God, listen to me, this is what I say, how does that make you feel? That's a good question. And sometimes they don't have the language to be able to explain their emotions. So what you could begin to do is you could give them a grid. You could say, does it make you feel anxious? Does it make you feel happy? Does it make you feel sad? Do you feel overwhelmed? Do you feel hopeful? Do you have joy? What do you feel? Do you, what's going on in your heart right now? And you ask them those questions. Now, let me just say this so you understand. We don't have these perfect rhythm devotion times with our kids. There are some nights, right, honey? Danley's upside down, literally hanging off the bed. Max is like not even there. I don't know what he's doing in his mind. Landon is not even answering me. And you could get to a point where you say, well, Pastor Michael said I would do this and then everything would fall into place. Let me tell you something. It doesn't always work that way. That's why the Shema says you have to be consistent. You have to keep following the rhythms of life. And you got to keep talking about the faithfulness of God because it takes time before it actually affects their hearts. So don't get discouraged if you go home and said, I asked the open-ended question and we didn't have an hour-long conversation about the deepest, darkest secrets of my kid's heart. It's okay. The win is the fact that you asked the question. That's the win. Does that make sense? All right, let me just say this, and I'm going to give you my final point, then we're going to close, okay? If you're going to do this with your children, you're going to begin to bring consistency of talking about the Lord through the rhythms of life. You're going to begin asking questions and allowing them to process and to think through the gospel for themselves. Then this is so important. You have to make sure as parents and as mentors that you create a safe place for them to be able to discuss and work out their doubts. We forget how merciful and how good God is when we doubt him. I've doubted God's goodness. I've doubted God's justice. I have doubted God's faithfulness. And you know, not one time when I came into the presence of God or I began to worship or I would go and spend some time in prayer, not one time did I ever hear the Holy Spirit tell me, get out of here. Not once. Instead, the Holy Spirit has always wooed my heart 
by his grace and by more truth. He'll wait as he keeps working things into my life. He'll begin revealing even other aspects of God that I've never seen until he wins my heart with his love and that place of questioning and that place of doubt is finally put to rest. Hear me on this. It is okay if your kids say to you, I have a hard time believing that God is three persons in one. That's okay. It's okay if your kids say to you, I have a hard time believing that God created the whole world. Don't freak out. Literally, don't sit there during this time that you're working in this consistency through the rhythms of life and begin to debate with your child and try to whip them in a debate. Just let it be. Remember, you're going to keep speaking to them. You're going to keep talking to them. Keep sharing God's truth. Keep praying over their lives. Keep meeting them right where they're at. And the Holy Spirit will work out what he has to begin to work out. Be careful that you don't try to interject yourself as the role of the Holy Spirit. You are the parent, which means you point to God. It doesn't mean you change the heart. That is the Spirit's work. You're the one as the road sign saying, that's where all your answers are going to be found. You're the one living it out and walking it out before them. You're not trying to change them. As soon as you try to change your kids, you have overstepped your boundary as a parent. Yes, we discipline. Yes, we deal with wrong behavior. Yes, we do all those types of things. But we give the Holy Spirit his space to be able to work in their lives and work in their hearts. Does that make sense? You have to create a safe place if you're going to have these types of conversations with your kids. Okay, lastly, let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter six, and I want you to read this one more time, one more time, and I want to bring out one more thing. Verse four, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. I press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I don't know if you catch this the way that I caught it this last week, but the Shema, get this, it teaches us a tool to stir up the affections of our children for God by talking to them about God consistently through the rhythms of life, ready for this, and with clarity where we're making sure that what they're hearing is what we're speaking, right? And then the third thing, which I never really noticed, but I want you to see this. You continue talking to your children about the faithfulness of God through creativity. Notice that the Shema doesn't just say, talk about the Lord when you sit down or when you get up, but it goes much further. It says, actually, bind the commandments as symbols on your hands and on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts. Write them on the gates. It's amazing to me because God is being much more creative than just having a history lesson or a lecture. He's saying you don't just use the audible where people begin to learn. I want you to use the visual as well. There's a creativity in the Shema that God is trying to bring out so that it would help stir up the affections of his own people. God's saying, don't just teach with conversation. Use visual cues. Use symbols to drive home into the hearts of your children who I actually am. I used to do this all the time as a youth pastor. My wife knows it. Um, we would get into these seasons in the youth groups where the kids' eyes would just kind of gloss over. Do you remember these seasons? Every single week, I would just get up and I'd preach a message. We'd have powerful altar times and we'd have worship and, and the kids. But there were certain times and certain seasons where they just have had too much information. 
and I would watch it. They were just overwhelmed with school. They were learning all day. Not only were they learning all day, but they're dealing with midterms. They're dealing with finals. Now they come into church, and now it's just here's another boatload of information, and there's no more capacity. They got nothing left, so it's literally that you can't cram anything else in there. And they would gloss over, and I'd go through one Wednesday, and then I'd go through two Wednesdays, and I'd be praying about this. And then suddenly I would feel a prompting in my heart and I would just follow it as if it was the direction of the Lord, which I believe it truly was. But sometimes even before a Wednesday night service, sometimes an hour before it, Beth knows this, I would get rid of all the seats or I would go outside and I'd open up the door. I'd go maybe get a 50 gallon drum or something and have a bonfire and I would change the whole night, the whole service. Say, we're not gonna worship tonight. We're not gonna do just teaching. We're gonna sit around a bonfire and we are gonna eat some s'mores together. And not only that, we're gonna play some ultimate Frisbee. I remember one time I did tug of war, but I tied the rope to, to the 15 passenger van and made them drag the van across, the whole park. I remember Pastor Gary coming out. You have kids dragging vans. And the worst part about it was the tow hitch was on the backside. So I had them dragging it backwards. So whoever was in it with the brake, if they didn't get to the brake quick enough or didn't see, it would just roll over the kids as they would go down. The... No, just kidding. That was a different youth pastor. We would do all these activities and we would sit down and we'd have these s'mores. And you know what I would do? If it was a clear night, I'd have them look up in the sky. I'd say, look up with me. Look at all those stars. And as I would have them looking at the stars, I would take Psalm 147 out and I would read verses one through four and I'd read this. I said, praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting it is to praise him. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. Listen to this. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars and he calls them each by name. I'd have them look up and I'd say, listen to me, I want you to get this. The Bible actually says that every one of those stars that you see in the sky, God ordered them and he named them. And then I'd say, do you have any idea how many stars are in the Milky Way? Just in our galaxy alone, there's over 100 billion stars. Our galaxy, I, I, I would tell them, is over 100,000 light years. Okay, one light year is six trillion miles. Hundreds of thousands. This God is so vast. I would say to him, think about this. That he literally knows every single star in a 100,000 mile radius. He knows it all through the solar system. And not only does he know them, he actually watches over them and he names them by name. But then Psalm goes on and I say this, but it says that that God that is that vast, that knows that much about our solar system, that literally numbers every star, that names everyone, is the same God that walks with you in your classes when somebody says something to you that hurts your heart. When a boyfriend or a girlfriend breaks up with you and you don't know what else to do. When you have a fight with your parents and you feel like you're just the worst outcast in the world. This is the same God. And the Bible says he not only walks with you, he binds up your broken heart. That when you worship him, when you come to youth group like this and you engage, he actually starts working inside of you through the Holy Spirit. He brings friends. He brings community. He brings his spirit upon you. And he begins to bind up what is hurting you inside of your heart so that you never have to carry it alone. Think about how vast this God is. Think about how glorious this God is. And all the attention of the vastness of this God has his attention set on your broken heart. Oh, let me tell you, sometimes that was just a quick 10 minutes just going through Psalm 147. But the fact that they looked up and saw the stars and they saw the creativity of the word of God, it changed something inside of them. Let me give two more examples. This is the one the Lord just gave me. Do you know I pray for creativity? In my consistency of talking about God and my walk with my kids, I, I pray for creativity. And this, this is, listen to me. 
This is not an age issue. Some of you are saying, well, my kids are 40 years old already. Listen, they still need your discipleship. They still, and I pray for creative ways all the time. Do you know I was in the car the other day? I didn't even tell Beth this yet. We, we barely get to see each other on the weekends. Hi, honey. <laughs> I love you. I'm in the car and she knows this. There's one of our kids that's one of the most musical. It's Max. And he will sing worship songs in the car. You can catch him. He'll start singing. I'll, I'll be listening to something. It's Hillsong or something. I'll turn it off. And he's singing along with the music. And there's certain songs that he loves. Certain songs that he actually asks for every time. So the Lord put this on my heart as a creative way to consistently speak about God with him. Print out the worship songs. And at his bedtime routine, when we have time, sit down with him and read through it. Say, this is what you're singing. And then, get this, ask him in his own words to explain the worship song. Ooh. Oh, wait, wait. Then follow it up with an open-ended question like, how does that make you feel? Or you could go even further, and now you could do the, I call it the, 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 the gold experience in devotion time. Ask them, tell me more about that. Let it begin to speak these things out. Amen? Speaking of creativity, last one. I have a friend. He's got a large family. I think he's got like five kids or so, and I'm not going to use his name. He comes, well, this friend doesn't come to this church. I have other friends who have large families, and they always are trying to get me to add to my family. You got to have more kids. And I said, I'm 43 years old. We're done. <laughs> Unless the Lord sees different. But what he did is he took his, his living room when his wife was gone for a few days. She was on a trip. Now, this happens in our family, but it's when I'm gone on a trip. My wife will come up with a great idea. I remember one time I came home in the living room and there was a pool in our living room filled with water. And my kids were swimming in it and they were watching a Pixar film. And I'm sitting and I'm watching it. It's only I look at my wife and I say, this is great, honey. How are we going to get the water out of the house? And as she looked at me, she says, I don't know. And I was like, so, so for the next month, we're just hanging out in this pool, hoping it would evaporate, praying for evaporation to take place, right? But this wife leaves and this husband, he, he has all the kids with him. So you know what he did? He took his whole living room and he made it into this fort. He took all the blankets. He took the furniture from literally bedrooms and everything else. He took wood that was outside in his garage and used it to make a door. And he put this whole fort together and he put all these blankets together. And then he got all the kids to come into the fort. And they're all hanging out in this fort and they're having the best time of their lives. And then you know what he did? He took a flashlight into the fort and this is what he read. He went to Psalm 18, chapter two, as he had all his kids. And he said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And then he said, just for about five minutes, guys, I'm going to pass you this torch, this flashlight. Kids love flashlights. I'm going to pass you this flashlight. And when I give you this flashlight, I want you to tell me how God is your fortress. I want you to tell me how God is with you. And they would go around. And some of the answers were just real easy. Well, Jesus died for me, so he's my fortress. Whatever. But you're getting them to think through and to process the gospel. It was powerful. Man, there's so many ways that you could be creative. Christmas, when you come downstairs before you open up all the presents, leave the presents just for a second and in the rhythms of life, open up the Christmas story and say, let's just read for a second and then say, this was the ultimate present. This present is better than any of these other presents. Why? And I guarantee some of you are going to say it's not better than a bike, but that's okay. You're working it into their lives. Does that make sense during church? Man, that we would be a house that's raising up the next generation. That we would talk about the Lord with our children consistently to stir up their affections with clarity and with creativity.
And God is saying, this is what God was saying today. And this is, what, this, this is actually the end. Ready? This is what God was saying. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. He says, I'm not putting it on you to overwhelm. This is not going to over. Do it in your rhythms of life, and you can do this. Stand with me, Springs Church. Stand with me. Hallelujah. 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 I'm going to ask the prayer team to come down. Father, I thank you for your goodness this morning, Lord. I know I've talked about this before. We, we've had these discussions, and I've taught on some of this before. But Lord, I think we need to look around and recognize the reality, the day and age that we're really living in. The scripture says the tribe of Iskar, um, they knew the times and what needed to be done. Father, I thank you that in the midst of everything that's changing in our country and our nation around the world, that the children that you have given to this house, Lord God, do not have to align with the spirit of this age. God, you're giving us ways and tools to stir up their affections. And I pray for parents, grandparents, and even singles, that you would show them, Lord God, what you are actually calling them to do. And not only would you show them, but I pray that you would build them up and you'd break any discouragement for those who feel like, well, I've tried and I failed. God, I pray that you would show them, Lord God, it's still not too late and you desire to work through, God, us being consistent in talking about you, us being clear in talking about you, and us being creative in the way that we talk to you about you to our children. And God, I pray that every one of these little conversations that are happening at bedtime routines, at dinner, Saturday morning, before we head out of the house for sports games, whenever it is, might even be in the car at times, Lord God, I pray that every one of those conversations would be anointed by the Spirit of God. And I pray that those seeds would get planted so deep in all of our children in this place, Lord God, and that the enemy would never be able to steal not even one. God, I pray for that today. God, I pray for those even in this house who are saying, well, my season for that is over. My, my children are 40 years old. They're 30 years old. They're, they're grown men. They're grown women. I pray that they would understand that discipleship never stops. Lord, even though even though it might not look like what we were describing today, they can still text, they could still call, they could still say, I heard this in church or I got this scripture for you. I want you to know I was praying for you today. God, my mom does that to me and it lifts up my spirit throughout my week. I get phone calls from my mom who says, I just want you to know I got a scripture for you, what you're walking through, decisions you have to make. I want you to know God is with you. God, she builds me up. She reminds me all the time of your faithfulness and your goodness. And I pray, God, that other parents and other grandparents that are in this house that feel like it's past that time would know it's not. Father, I thank you for this place. Father, I commit this word to you now. I pray that you'd make it part of our lives. And I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. One more round of applause to the Lord this morning for his goodness. Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.